pictures if they've got them. Can you pull those up? Are those going side screen or middle? Go ahead and pop the first one up. Okay, you recognize that building? All right, I took that picture because our condo building has a rooftop deck where the lawn furniture is. So that's my prayer position in the morning. It's about six blocks from the Capitol. And the view looking the other way to the west is this view. Now you see the George Washington Monument in the distance. The reason I took that picture and showed you though is because that's the National Archives building, the largest building in the, in the picture. And that's where the original Constitution and Bill of Rights is, is housed in the Declaration of Independence. So the reason that's important is because I believe that God anointed flawed men to write an anointed document. It's not the Bible, but it's an anointed document that has helped create the most powerful nation in the history of the world. And when that nation began, it was under a prophetic mandate. Sometime you need to read. I could read it to you today, but I won't take time. I have it here in my, in my iPad. You need to read the covenant of declaration made by the first settlers that ever set foot on this land in 1604 at Jamestown. The covenant they made was, we are here to share the gospel from sea to sea with those who live here and to be a witness and light to the world and may this nation that we are here to establish be called evangelist to the world. That was the first declaration ever made and then they planted a cross on the beach close to Virginia Beach, Virginia at Jamestown. That's the covenant that this nation was put under. There's a scripture that says, how art the mighty fallen? So if we don't know where we started, we don't know how to get us back to that place. So we're moving to get back to that place. Let's look at a couple more pictures. The next picture is the front of the center. You can see it on there. It says, Churches in Covenant Center for National Renewal. Then I think we have a picture inside. In fact, that's the staircase going down to their offices. This is a picture in the third floor level. And this is not a church. This is not a meeting room for huge crowds. This is a place for strategic meetings. So as we intended, the first day we opened it, I had a strategic meeting in this room with a U.S. Senator, and this is not classified now because this has already happened. But at that time, it had not. And my first meeting in this uh, upstairs room was to consult with a senator about whether he remained a U.S. senator or took what was then a secret offer by the new president to be a Supreme Court justice. And what do I do? Which way do I go? What decision should I make? So God has put us there for strategy, for strategic meetings. So that's what happens in the center. Uh, let's see what else we have. Just a couple more pictures quickly. That's another picture of the inside upstairs. Uh, that's a picture of a strategic meeting a few weeks ago. That's uh, Matt and Lori Crouch from TBN, but they were there because they're, they're filming a special, a documentary special to be shown on TBN on the Center for Renewal and DC and why we are there. And they're also looking at buildings to buy and open a studio in Washington, D.C., and they haven't announced that yet, so you didn't hear that from me. 
So let's look further. I think we're just about finished. Uh, oh, okay. This is just last week. This is a beautiful man. Uh, this is uh, Chaplain Barry Black, who is the Senate chaplain. A powerful man. He was a rear admiral in the Navy, and he's been 14 years the Senate chaplain, filled with the Spirit of God, loves Jesus. This was in his office, and I spent the day with him, and he did an interview for us for the TBN special. Uh, you're going to learn some beautiful things from that interview. Powerful man. So that's some of what we're doing with the, with the center and why we're there. So I want to tie in the mention of a book. I just wrote a new book called Influence, Becoming the Leader that Changes the World. Now, I want to kind of make this point I haven't made before today, but I hope that I can just make this in a moment and you get it kind of quickly. And that is that so much happens when we declare what we believe God is saying, right? So I wrote this book from the idea that I'll, I'll just give you a gist of where it comes from because I want to appeal to every leader in this room because every kingdom citizen is a leader at some level. If nothing but leading someone to Christ, and I hesitate to even say if nothing but because that's the greatest thing we could ever do. So we're all leaders. So when I was writing this book, here's where it came from. I was in Caesarea in Israel, which is a coastal town. You remember what happened there. The Holy Spirit sent Peter there to preach to Cornelius, and that's where us Gentiles got allowed in the church through revelation. Well, there was also a prison there, and that's where the Apostle Paul was held by the Roman government, and he was going to be extradited to Rome and be tried and be executed for preaching against the Roman government. So he left Caesarea in shackles, handcuffs, feet in chains on a ship. You know the story. On the way, they had a shipwreck. He ended up on an island. Then he eventually got to Rome. Now I'm going to paraphrase this part. When he gets to Rome, the officials say, Paul, we've lost your paperwork, so we've got to throw this case out. So Paul said, great, I think I'll just stay and build a church. So he did. Now, just a few years later, Paul writes from Rome to his church he'd established in Philippi, which was another key city in the Greek empire. So he writes to the Philippians, chapter 4, and says, I send greetings from the saints in Rome, especially those of Caesar's family. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did, did you catch that? Here's a man. Here's the power of the gospel. Here's a man that leaves Israel in shackles as a prisoner, almost drowns in a shipwreck, lands on an island like a drowned rat, bit by a snake that doesn't intend him to get to his destiny, ends up, his case is thrown out, he starts a church, now he has converted and is discipling and pastoring Caesar's family. Caesar was the most powerful man in the then known world. That's the influence of the gospel. So I've coined a new phrase, influence missions. Because for all of your lifetime and mine, what we call missions has been primarily the Red Cross with the gospel added. It's humanitarian missions. We go to third world countries, we reach poor people, we preach them the gospel. Ought to do it, should do it, we do do it, 
and will always do it. But there's a phrase I'd like you to think about. The lost message of the kingdom is the lost kings of the message. Because here's why Paul was able to do what he did. When he was converted, you remember on the road to Damascus when Paul was converted? When he was converted, I'm not boring anybody, am I? Okay, give me a little face feedback. When he was converted, God told the little disciple who was going to baptize him, he's called to the Gentile nations, to kings, and to the house of Israel. Okay, Gentile nations and the house of Israel is a national designation. Kings is a positional designation. And that means that we, you and I, through that calling, are called to reach the kings of the earth. Who's going to minister to them? Sometimes we go to third world countries and minister to poor people because that's the only place we can feel superior. Sorry, I just threw that in there. Don't quote me on that. But it is a reality. Do we feel small? Do we feel insignificant? Are we too insecure to believe that kings need ministry too? I'm talking about rulers of the earth. Now, why do we do that? You say, why, why would we need to minister to that? Because the Apostle Paul tells us why. He said, pray for your leaders so that you may live a peaceable life which is pleasing to God. So when the government is in a mess and when the nation is in a mess and has thrown God out, you're not going to live a good life. Because the Bible says the nation that forgets God will be cast down. Who wants to live in a nation that God has cast down? So if the rules and the regulations and the governing happens at the highest levels, then let's have a voice at the table. So I wrote the book by faith. I moved to D.C. by faith. No, no invitation. No friends. No, please come and help us, Pastor Mike. I just did what Abraham did. This sounds so stupid. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says that Abraham went forth not knowing where he was going. Who does that? And Abraham was a great king. He wasn't like a homeless guy. But the next verse says he looked for a city whose builder was God. So he didn't know how he was going to get there, but he knew what he was looking for and what God wanted to establish. So when I wrote the book by faith, then, then you start to look at signs that God wants to say something. So I was in Israel, and uh, TBN and Hillsong did a joint tour, and we were in the stadium in the amphitheater in Caesarea right next to the prison where Paul left. So Brian Houston with, uh, with uh, Hillsong was there, and Hillsong did a concert in the amphitheater, and there were about 3,000 people there. And so the night before, over dinner, Brian and I were talking about it, and he's like, what's going on? And what? So I told him about the center. He said, man, I want to go to Washington, D.C. I've never been there. And we were talking about places of influence because he builds a lot of Hillsong in cities of influence. So I said, you're doing what I've written about. So I told him the premise of the book. I hadn't seen the printed copy of my book yet. It, it was finished. Jeremy, my assistant here, helped us finish it, and it was printed, but I hadn't seen it yet. I'd only seen a picture. So the next night in the Caesarea uh, Amphitheater, 
Brian does a little message between the sets of the concert that they were filming, and a half of his message, he talked about me, called me by name, talked about the book, and that it was coming out, and it's about influence, and he said it happened right in this place. This is Caesarea. This is where Paul left from. So I'm like, okay, there may be a little favor on this thing. Maybe a little favor on this thing. So I'll, I'll cut through the other stories I could tell you about the favor that's on it. Uh, the special that's being done is favor that's on it. Uh, because Matt said, you know what, I'm moved by the fact that you would leave Dallas and come here to do this. So there must be something God has in it. I want to be a part of that. And then uh, a week ago, Saturday night, and this kind of shows you what kind of hours they're working in the White House. I was surprised. But a week ago, Saturday night, Kathy and I were in our condo there. And uh, I got an email from the White House that said, we want you to contact us because you have been chosen to join the Faith Leaders Advisory Council for the President. So on last Tuesday, we had our first conference call, and then we'll do that through the summer and then learn what the schedule of meetings are. So I'm just telling you that to tell you this. I'm, I, I'm not a name dropper. I was talking to Oprah about that last week, and I said, I hate it when people just, <laughs> when people drop names. It's just disgusting. But anyway, uh, I, I want you to pray for us because this is not fun and games. This is, this is warfare. It's unbelievable. But I will tell you this. I want to end with some good news, and then I'm going to give you a word from the Lord about Abraham today that's just for you. Uh, you need to know this. There's a lot of silly stuff going on in the news, and there's a lot of silly things that could be distractions. But you need to know that there are more good things going on right now that seem under the surface Kathy and I met with Michelle Bachman a few weeks ago for lunch. You remember she was a presidential candidate. She was a congresswoman from Minnesota. Good woman, woman of God. Graduated from ORU, loves the Lord. But she said to me, Mike, when I came to Washington, D.C. 15 years ago and started serving as a congresswoman, I could hardly find a Bible study or prayer meeting to go to. Now there are so many, I can't go to all of them. There are more... You, you, you need to know this. There are more fired-up, spirit-filled, serious Christians serving in the current 115th Congress than there has been in Congress in 150 years. So in spite of what you see or feel, and you can make it political if you want to, but if you're a kingdom citizen, you have to know that there is a higher calling on us and that God is not a Republican, and God is not a Democrat, and God is not an Independent. God is God. And He's got this silly idea. I'm in charge. And so when you represent God, you fly higher than the battlefield of what flesh is doing. And you say, come on, Jesus, use me in this environment in any way that you choose to make our nation better and to give us time to keep the lights on and the doors open because just one serious statement. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not a date setter, but I think that we are in a, an extremely dangerous time in our world. And I believe that 
Kathy and I's assignment is a three to five year window, and then I don't know what things are going to look like after that. I think God is giving us a chance to push back darkness and really change the nation and the world. And we may fail in that. If we do, there are more serious ramifications for that than I want to tell you about. We have to succeed. And so I ask you to do this, two things, three things. Pray for DC and, here's, and, and for our nation. And here's one of the ways you can join with Kathy and I and a team of 300,000 plus now, just launched in October. The National Renewal Prayer Team is a prayer team where I send you a weekly update and a prayer of what we're praying about so that we know how to focus our prayers. We launched it in October, and all you have to do to join it is text. You can even do it now. It takes 30 seconds. You can text NATRENEW, which stands for National Renewal, NATRENEW to 41411. When you do that, you're going to be able to give me your email so I can send you this. And it asks for, I think, are you a, a leader of a church or group or an individual? Are you signing up which way? It takes 30 seconds to do. And then you'll get the, the prayer updates from us. Now let me tell you something while you do that. Don't be distracted. Go ahead and sign up, those of you that are signing up. Let me tell you something that will touch your heart. Of the 300,000 plus that have signed up for the National Renewal Prayer Team, the largest individual body of people doing that, that are signed up, are not Americans. The largest group signed up are underground Christians in Iran. Almost 100,000 underground Christian Iranians are praying with me weekly for our nation. Why? Maybe they understand like we don't understand what it can cost you if you lose the leadership of your country. Because they can't worship in public. Pastors are persecuted or imprisoned or killed. And so it all has to be secretive. But they can work with the internet. So they're able to connect with us. That touches me. That's why I'm not going to go easy on us as Americans if we're going to sit around and complain and do nothing. I've had it with that. When people don't even have the freedom to go to church publicly, but they sign up to say, I'm going to pray for your nation, and then we're going to sit and do nothing, not me. we got to do something. And we are, right? So the second thing I want you to do is come to Washington, D.C. So you'll be able to do that. Your pastors will tell you about it in the near future. But we're going to start to organize tours for people to come and see everything that's important and meet with us at the center, pray over the nation, and we'll give you a private late-night capital tour and take you behind the scenes so that you can go down on the Senate floor and stand right where your state senators stand at their desk and pray over the nation where, the, uh, where, where the, all the business is transacted, and it's an important thing for the kingdom of God. So how many of you will pray with us? Amen. Amen. I believe that you will. I want you to get a copy of the new book because everybody's a leader at some level, and I want you to become a leader of influence that changes the world. I'll uh, have them back in the lobby after service. I think they are $15 uh, uh, normally retail. Uh, not normally, they are $15.
And, uh, but I, I want to do something special for you today because I want you to get one and I want you to give one to somebody you love, maybe a, a boss or a friend or somebody you'd like to read it. Um, uh, it has the 10 principles of leadership that I've condensed to be, I think, the most important things in our lives as personal disciplines and understandings. So we'll do two for 20, okay? Just grab two for a $20 bill and, uh, and be blessed. And I'll be glad to sign them for you and say hi to you if you, uh, if you wish to speak, if you wish to talk. Everywhere I do this, I'm meeting. You never know who's sitting in an audience. I'm meeting strategic people uh, that, that have a connection that God opens, and it's beautiful. I want to talk to you today for a few minutes, and I've taken a few minutes, as your pastor asked, to talk about what we're doing and update you, because you have a serious investment in D.C., even if you haven't been, you've been supporting Pastor Damon and Christine there for about four years, and that's an important witness. I mean, you took on a big thing. You took on a big thing, and, uh, and I want you to continue to pray for them. And, and the warfare is intense, but they're winning, and, and hold them up in prayer. This is, this is not a game. The enemy gets really serious when you start talking about doing something in his playground. I want to talk to you for a special word for you today, and if you'll receive this, it can change your life. And that's not an understatement, because the Word of God can change your life. But this word for you today can change your life. And then at the end of this message, in just a few moments, I want to impart this to you through a special prayer. I want to talk to you today about receiving the blessing of Abraham. Now, I'm going to read you a verse of Scripture that should cause us to question something and look further, but we seldom do. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 says, Christ has, past tense, redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now stop right there. How many of you believe that that's talking about the crucified death of Jesus? It's an obvious thing, right? Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why did he do that? The next word, that. Everybody say that. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, lest you feel bad, let me explain this to you. If you or I stood outside any Christian church in America today as people exited their service and did a little man-on-the-street interview and ask them, what is the blessing of Abraham, and do you have it? Not one in 10,000 could tell you. And yet, Paul says, Jesus died on a cross for us to have the blessing of Abraham. What is the blessing of Abraham? If it's so important that Jesus died for us to have it, what is the blessing of Abraham? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to set it up by telling you the background of this verse, and then I'm going to show you in clear detail what the blessing of Abraham is, how you can get it. Jesus has already paid for it. You ought to get really upset about that and say, look, if Jesus had to die for me to have this, I want it. I want it in my life. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's go way back in antiquity in the Old Testament. And Abraham is a great king. He's got a, he's a Bedouin though. He, he, he follows the grass. His herds are thousands his nephew Lot also have, has herds of thousands. They were so prospered that they had to make an agreement and move further apart from each other 
because of the, inter, the grazing problems with open range. So in those days, there were few organized nations. There were marauding kings and despots and outlaws everywhere. So a group of five kings that were all pagan and wicked, one of them, most of those are ancient kingdoms you've never heard of that, are, that have disappeared from the face of the earth. One of them you'll recognize, he was the king of Sodom. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, distinguished for its perversion, Sodom and Gomorrah. He was one of the kings. Five of those kings came through the country burning and killing and enslaving and raping and robbing the populace anywhere they found people. And so they came through the village where Lot, Abraham's nephew, lived. And they burned the village and they took Lot and his family as slaves and they stole all of their goods and all of their animals and they went on down the road to the next village to steal and rob and kill from them. Well, the word reached Abraham, your nephew Lot and his family have been stolen as slaves, everything he owned taken, and Abraham raised an army of 318 of his servants. This is a powerful man, but he didn't have an army, so he raised 318 servants so with picks and shovels and whatever weaponry they could bring together, they take off down the road, but the blessing of God on them, and they overtake the five kings, and they engage them in battle, and they defeat them. And they get Lot and his family and all of their belongings back. Now they're headed back up the road, but you've got to get the volume of this in your mind. They're headed back up the road to where Abraham and Lot are from, it's several miles journey with all of their stuff, watch this now, and all of the belongings of those kings because to the victor go the spoils. So Abraham said, while we're at it, you're going to leave here broke too. So they took their, plun their, their plunder was jewels and diamonds and rubies and animals by the thousands that they recouped and they took all that belonged to the five kings because that's the rules of war in those days. So Abram is headed back home with the, with the spoils of war and his family reunited and it's a happy time. So they stop by the road, they erect these massive tents that they as Bedouins lived in but as wealthy men and they start to prepare a meal. In preparing that meal, a mysterious man walks into the camp among them and walks up to Abraham. I'm going to tell you briefly about his identity. You can study more about him. This mysterious man in the Old Testament is named Melchizedek. Melchizedek is most explained in Hebrews chapter 7 in the New Testament. Melchizedek is what we in theology call a theophany. In the Old Testament, God was only spirit and didn't have a physical body. He only took a physical body on in Jesus at the birth at Bethlehem. That's when the Son of God became flesh. But before he was flesh, he would, in the Old Testament, he is often called the angel of the Lord. When you see the term the angel of the Lord, that's not just any angel. That's the spirit that became Jesus. Does that make sense? a theophany, a representation in flesh so that God could walk up to you, sit down and eat with you and make covenant, etc. 
That's Melchizedek. He's the high priest of heaven. We know now that Jesus is our great intercessor seated at the right hand of God. So we know who Melchizedek is. There's no mystery about that. We used to have Bible college debates about that, but it's, there's really no mystery. Okay, so they sit down to a meal. Abraham and Melchizedek. Wow, this is power. Something's about to happen here. So the story is told in Genesis chapter 14. I'll just read together with you verses 18 through 20. Then, when? When they sat down together, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. That's the elements of communion. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. He, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Interesting, this is not about tithe specifically, but this is the first place in the Bible tithe is ever mentioned. And it was 400 years before it became a law under the Levites. So just remember that. I want to show you the blessing now because I want you to receive it. I just read it. I read the blessing of Abraham and it has three distinct parts. The blessing of elevation, the blessing of possession, and the blessing of dominion. The blessing of elevation in, blessed be Abram of El Elyon is the term used for God there, the, na- the title name for God. El Elyon means most high God or higher than any God. Because you remember, Abraham was an idolater. Abraham worshipped the moon when he was in Ur when, when God found him. God doesn't care where you start. God is interested in where you finish. So God can become God in your life. So Abram, who worshipped moon and stars and everything else, now knows El Elyon, but El Elyon makes covenant with him because it becomes a part of his name. So God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. God puts the uh, Hebrew letter in his name from Yah, which is the ancient name for God. So the blessing is, blessed be Abram of El Elyon. I wish I had time to do this with you because it's really fun. But I hope you've studied your surname, your last name. Because your last name tells much about your family roots. Your last name is either geographical or it is related to career. In other words, anyone named Smith was some kind of Smith. A Smith was someone like a blacksmith who repaired steel wheels or whatever. If your name is Fuller, your your kinfolks back there somewhere cleaned clothing. That's what a Fuller did. If your name is Cooper your last name, then somewhere back there, your relatives made wooden barrels. That's what Coopers did. So your name is related to something about your roots or your background. Have you all studied your last name? Do you know something about your roots or your background? Okay. So now, why is this important? Because there were Abrams everywhere. Just like in Jesus' day, there were Jesuses everywhere. Do you understand that? Jesus was the derivative of Joshua. There were Joshuas everywhere in Israel. So Jesus was not unique because his name was Jesus. But when you identify him as Jesus the Christ, now I'm not talking about Jesus that lives down on the corner. 
I'm not talking about Jesus that worked with you or went to school. I'm talking about Jesus, the Son of God. Oh, that Jesus. You see? So Abram became Abram of Most High God. It became his surname. So now, through the covenant of God, you and I can do that. So you put your first name, so now I am Mike of Most High God. Now, that may not mean anything to anybody down at Chili's when you're trying to order lunch, but that's going to mean something in the kingdom of darkness. When you go before God in prayer and the devil tries to distract you like he does, say, wait just a minute. This is not just any Mike. There's Mikes on every corner. And some people even want to be like Mike. And there's a Mike that could do great things and magical stuff with a basketball. But I'm not talking about that Mike. I'm talking about Mike of Most High God. That's my identity. So the first blessing is the blessing of elevation. Let me take just a couple minutes to tell you my story so you can relate yours. Can you believe that a little coal mining and service station working family in Ohio who didn't know Jesus who had never been in a Christian church before they got married, could then have a son. And when I was two years old, my parents gloriously found Jesus and were baptized in the Holy Spirit. A few years later, moved to Flagstaff, Arizona to found a little Rocky Mountain church and start preaching the gospel. It never had more than 50 people in it. They pastored faithfully until they moved our family, my dad did, to Houston, Texas. He went to work teaching at a Bible school and was the dean of men and an assistant pastor in a church, the biggest church I'd ever seen. When you come from a church with 25 or 30 people and you go to a church with five or 600, you think you've gone to heaven, right? As a young man in Flagstaff, we didn't have a youth group. We didn't have a youth leader, a youth pastor. Are you kidding me? Those were the days when churches had a pastor and a piano player. And then if you got really big, you got a Sunday school superintendent. But they were volunteer. It was usually the businessman in town that had the most money. And you were hoping that you could give him a position of power and he'd donate something so you didn't go broke. Because that's the way church building is, man. It was tough in those days. It's easier now than it's ever been and it's still tough. My grandma and my mom, who couldn't sing at all, my grandma sang, but she had one of those hoo, 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 kind of voices. So it was really funny to us kids. And then another lady that I don't remember whether she was a singer or not. But there'd be about 10 or 12 people at church there in Flagstaff. And they would get up as a trio and sing a special. I don't know other songs. I just remember they liked this one. I don't know why. They would sing, take, take everything but my Lord. It went something like this. Take my possessions, my treasures, my ambitions. Take the sunshine, the flowers, the birds. The point was, you know, I can't live without Jesus. It was the most depressing song I've ever heard. I was only eight years old and I was suicidal at the end of that service. Because actually as an eight-year-old boy, I looked around and there was hardly anyone there but our family. And I thought, it looks to me like they already have taken everything but my Lord. We're, we're sitting in a rented store and we made pews out of the shelving. I believe somebody has already taken everything but my Lord. Let's sing something else. Let's try another song. And so they did. 
So it was one of those like, give me a mansion in glory or I'll just take a cabin. And so anyway, you understand the day. So, but they were first generation Christians serving Jesus, starting small. Don't despise the day of small things. So now when someone introduces me when I was pastoring Covenant as the founder and says five campuses and 10,000 people and all that, I want to look around and see who they're talking about. Because you're talking about a guy who came from a family that didn't even know Jesus until I was born. But you know what? We serve the God of elevation. I'm going to make a statement right now, and you're either going to receive it like a sponge in your spirit. It'll change your life or it'll go right over your head. You cannot be in relationship with El Elyon, the Most High God, and God not elevate your life. It's not possible. It's not possible. If your life is broken down and not working, then you go as fast as you can go, you run into the arms of El Elyon because your life will be elevated when you get in relationship with this God. I'm not talking about go Sunday and hear about him. I'm talking about get in relationship with him, fall in love with him, have a relationship with him where you feel him, you know him, you love him, you sense him, you fellowship with him, you sing to him, you hear from him. Blessing of elevation. You want that? The second part of the blessing of Abraham is the blessing of possession. Ownership is our right through the blessing of Abraham. Ownership of what? First of all, we own our own life, our own soul. The Bible says in your patience, possess ye your soul. Some people don't even own their own soul. They've given pieces of it away all over the world trying to be somebody. At least possess your own soul. Start there. And then God has anointed us for possession. This beautiful building that we set in, I'm so glad for you to have this awesome place to worship in this beautiful city, in this beautiful area. And it's the will of God. It's the will of God that churches have property, that we buy it, that we own it, and it doesn't have to be given to us free to be God. We can pay. I remember one time when I first started preaching, a friend who was a pastor and had a successful church. He took me, let me take you to my favorite suit place. So we're in the suit place and we're looking at suits and he has me try on a suit and I don't know what's up really, but he ends up, he says to the salesman, listen, we're preachers. We'd like a half price discount, 50% off. And so when the guy walked away to check with the manager or whatever, I pulled my friend aside and I said, listen, don't ever do that again in front of me. That's the most belittling, stupid thing. Because we preach the gospel, we need a half-price discount. No, listen, it doesn't have to be free to be the will of God. We can pay. We can compete. We can build great businesses. We can run a great business. We can be CEOs of America's greatest company. We can be a senator or the president. We can be a great pastor. We can be the greatest missionary ever. We can do what God's called us to do because of this. And let me give you this word really quickly because I think there's a lot of, a lot of confusion going about this and division in the body of Christ. We can divide over anything. Have you figured that out? Uh, one of the songs you sang today that I think is beautiful. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a great brouhaha going on because one of those is heresy. 
What a beautiful name it is. That has been, been declared by some of the great theologians in America as a heretical song written by someone in the Hillsong group because the line in there says something about you needed us in heaven and so you came to earth. And they say that's heresy because God doesn't have any needs so he didn't need us in heaven. So you see, we can create division out of anything. I, I'm not saying that's heresy, by the way. I'm just saying it doesn't take much in the body of Christ for us to find something to divide over. We're really good at that. In fact, we're a lot better at division than multiplication. If we could just learn multiplication, because that's the God kind of math. Division is the demonic kind of math. Man at best can only add or subtract. De the devil divides and God multiplies. That's kingdom math. That's kingdom math. So, in the blessing of possession, it becomes our right. God wants you to own. I'm going to move on from that because we're going to pray about that in a minute, but I want to get to the last one, the blessing of dominion. We're moving quickly. The blessing of dominion. Who has delivered your enemies into your hand. I want you to note that, please in this blessing of Abraham, because most of the time in the scripture, when God gives a great victory, he would say something like, I'll let you put your foot on the neck of your enemy. Why in this reference alone does it say, I'll give your enemies into your hand? Because it ties in with possession. Abram was just coming home with all the wealth of five kings, but it has something, something to do with something else. I'm going to use David quickly as an example. The great King David is probably the best biblical example I could draw of a man who flourished in all three of these areas. Did he have the blessing of elevation? He did. What, where did he start from? With a few sheep in the backside of the desert. And he ends up the greatest king Israel ever knew. He, he lived the blessing of elevation. What about the blessing of possession? Yeah, he had that because Jerusalem was in the hand, in, in David's childhood, Jerusalem had been captured by the Jebusites, some awful people who were known like Isis to behead their victims. And they would set the, the severed heads of people on the walls of Jerusalem. And they renamed Jerusalem Jebus. So David defeats Goliath. Now the Sunday school version of that is the G-rated version. The G-rated version is that David threw a rock and knocked Goliath down. And, and you probably ought to leave it alone there because you don't want to give kids nightmares. But the reality is David cut off his head. And then you got to follow the head of Goliath because it makes a journey. David, the Bible says, took it with him that night to the special state dinner with the king. I can just see the doorman say, son, if you don't mind, let's leave that sitting outside here. And it'll be there after the banquet. I promise you, nobody will touch it. Can you imagine how big the old head of Goliath was? And so David goes to the banquet with it. After the banquet, he makes a journey of almost 40 miles to the city of Jerusalem that's now called Jebus, and it's in enemy hands. But remember what they're known for? Severing heads of their victims. David takes the head of Goliath and shakes it in the face of the guards in the guard tower in the city of Jerusalem and said, years before Arnold Schwarzenegger did, I'll be back. 
So David left, and for the next 20 years, David raised himself into a warrior and an army of mighty men. They came up through the water shaft that eventually became Mount Zion and defeated the Jebusites and freed the city and established Mount Zion as the city of God. David was a possession man. And, and, and this is a word for somebody. Before you can possess what you're dreaming about, you may have to dispossess someone that squatted on your property. You may have to move them out first. Now, we, we don't fight flesh and blood. That may be a thought pattern. That may be a mentality. That may be some bad relationships you need to shake off and get away from you because they're going to keep you from your destiny. That's one of the greatest prices you'll ever have to pay to see the destiny of God. When I was a teenager, and I see some beautiful teenagers here in this room today, some of them were dancing. I thought I was going to catch one of them. He was going to fall out in the spirit in my hands there, and it was beautiful. But anyway, I want to tell you something, guys. When I was a teenager and first felt the call of God, but peer pressure is huge to every teenager. And the biggest price I paid at that level was to say, I'm going to have to say goodbye to some friends who aren't really friends because they're not going where I'm going. And it was the hardest thing I ever did. They made fun. They laughed. I wanted, I cared about what they thought too much. But guess what? I look back just a few years later, every one of them without exception, multiple broken marriages, prison, drug addicted, dead or worse, and I, th and I say, thank God that you freed me from the bondage of caring more about what those people thought of me than your calling on my life. It may be the price you have to pay. The blessing of possession. He was a possession man. And then was he a dominion man? Yeah. God gave his enemy into his hand. Your, your overcoming of an enemy becomes your testimony. So the reason God wants it in your hand is because you need to tell your story. When God sets you free from something, tell your story. Tell it. Don't hide it. Tell your story when you're set free and God gives you a great victory. There's no such thing as being embarrassed about what God's done for you in your life. Because remember what I told you. It doesn't matter where you started. It matters, it matters where we finish. We've all been through some stuff. It's a miracle any of us are here. Look at you, baby. You're sitting here in the house of God with your right mind. Still alive. Still loving Jesus. Still loving your spouse. Loving your children. That's a victory. Thank God. Okay. Here's the blessing of Abraham. Elevation. Possession. And dominion. What was it worth? And I close with this last thought. Here's what it was worth. Out of the blue, Abraham, who's becoming the covenant man of God, feels to respond to the, to the blessing that he's just received. And the Bible says that Abram, now remember, you remember how massive this return going up the road was? Thousands of animals, trunks full of gold and gems. The, 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 the spoils of, I started to say the booty of war, but the definition of booty has been changed in our generation. So I thought I, di I didn't want to throw some of our young people a curve there. 
praise God, I'm going back to that church. They talk about booty in that church. <clears throat> Sorry. Seriously, it used to be called the booty of war, the spoils of battle. They had all of that with them. What does Abram do? He responds to the blessing of God by gathering up the first tenth of all of that and giving it to Melchizedek. A tithe of all, it says. That's 400 years before it became a law. So Abram is the first man, he's the father of our faith, he's the first man that ever tithed by faith. Because that's the only kind of tithe that carries a blessing. Not law tithing. In the New Testament, there's, the Bible says a rich young ruler who came to Jesus by night. You remember him? And he asked him about eternal life. And Jesus decided to touch the nerve of what he knew was that young man's real God. So he said, it's easy. Now, Jesus never told anyone else this in their life. So it wasn't a Christian rule. Jesus said to him, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And the Bible says that he left and went away sorrowful. Hold on to the music just a minute. I'm sorry. I'm ADD and I can't do two things at once. It's beautiful, but we'll need it in a minute. He went away sorrowful. What did the, what did the little short guy do? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus the, the rich young ruler was a good man. Zacchaeus was awful. Zacchaeus was hung up, short, a thief, didn't care what the whole city thought. His neighbors hated him. His family had abandoned him, but he was just raking in the money because he was the chief of tax collectors for the Romans, and he was a Jew. So he was a hated man. He was a marked man. Jesus comes to town, and because of his shortness, stature, he crawls in a tree. He hears Jesus, comes down, and Jesus calls him by name, Zacchaeus, and invites himself over to his house. When Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, he shares with him the grace that came from Jesus, and the Bible says, unsolicited. Zacchaeus said, half of all my wealth I give today, and anyone I've ever cheated, I pay them back four times over. Now, you know what that means? I did the math on this. The way he said it created a reality that might mean Zacchaeus was broke when that was finished. Because notice what he said. He didn't say, I'll take all of my wealth, pay back those I owe four times over, and then whatever's left, I give half of that. So I'm left with half. No, no, he said, I'll give half of all my wealth and I will repay four times everybody I've cheated, which means I may end up with nothing. But if I got you, that's okay with me. See, that's, that's someone who tithed by grace. That's what Abraham did. Let me show you some quick pictures as we close. That's why I want to I pray this with you, but I want to show you these pictures because it isn't the message specifically, but I want, to, I want the image is powerful. I took them at home. The first picture is a picture of 10 random coins, quarters. So forget about the amount that they're worth 25 cents, but note the fact that there's 10 of them. Right now, random. But let's play like this is our income for this week. It could be 10,000, it could be 10 million, it could be $10, it could be 10 cents, but this is what I earned this week. It's random. But the Bible says that the firstborn of everything is God's. Later, it was transferred to tenth. A tenth is the word tithe. So one of them is marked. So the second picture shows that among those random earnings, one of them, one-tenth of that, belongs to God. But it hasn't been given, but it still belongs to God. So the next picture shows 
that because I'm a man of faith and I love God, I put it first. In the row of the rest, I put it first. Now here's what could happen. What could happen is when I give that one, the Bible says when you give the first, all that remain are blessed. Now, the 10 random ones, were they blessed? No, they were, that was just my earnings. It wasn't blessed, it was just what I'd earned. But God says, if you'll give me the first one, how many do you have left? Nine. Let me say something that really isn't that deep, but it's really powerful and it's important for us to know. If you can't make it on nine, you can't make it on ten. Somebody said, I can't afford to tithe. I can't make it on giving God 10%. Then that means that you can't make it on nine-tenths. You're saying, I can't make it on 90% of everything I take in. I can't make it. Well, then you probably can't make it on 100. Here's the deal. I made a decision that if I give God the first tenth, I've got 90% of everything I bring in left, and it's blessed. And my 90% blessed is going to beat your 100% not blessed every time. And when I say you, I don't mean anybody here because everybody here believes this. I'm preaching to the choir. But I wanted to show you this. Last picture. So I take that first one and I give it to God. Pastor Randy received the offering earlier and we gave our tenth to God. I wanted to encourage you in this because here's what happened. Believe it or not, I want to come down here where I can show you this. Where's one of our ushers or somebody that helped us? What, what do they use, a bucket or what? Where, where, where are those? Just give me one real quickly. Whatever you use for the offering. I don't want you to forget this. Because I'm going to tell you something that sounds so magical and mysterious and crazy that we can miss this. Thank you so much. That's a nice bucket, and it's a good size, too. We don't, those flat plates aren't deep enough. You could hold a bucket of chicken in this thing. Okay, okay, watch this. We miss this. Hebrews chapter 7 says this. Here, meaning on earth, mere men receive the tithe. But there, he receives them, our faithful high priest. Wait, wait a minute. D don't miss that. What did that just say? What that said was, I get chills when I think of this. The envelope or the check or the money literally that you dropped in 45 minutes ago into this bucket. Before it gets to the bank that the church uses tomorrow, it's already made a journey to the heavens. And given before our faithful high priest who says to the Father, look what my kids are doing. Doesn't matter what kind of bad news, doesn't matter what kind of fears, doesn't matter what kind of misgivings, doesn't matter how many new doctrines come out about why you don't have to give anything, they're faithfully given and my kingdom is moving forward. Look what they're doing, Father. And then he winks at the angels and said, you didn't think they were worth it, did you? Because the angels were mystified by why Jesus would die on a cross for us. So your tithe has already made a journey to the heavens before it goes to the bank tomorrow. Because it's accounted for in heaven before it's accounted for at the bank. And then what does that register you for? Blessing, covering, favor, anointing, 
divine appointments. I want to ask you to join Kathy and I in something. Our prayer every morning is this, God, and it only takes one a day. I'm happy with that. If you got more for me, but I want a divine appointment today. I want to see your hand arrange something today. I prayed that four weeks ago and I was in Nashville at a church that I preached in for the first time, but it's a friend that we cover and help and he's doing a great job. He's in a school and there was a good crowd there and because it's Nashville, he's drawing a lot of Nashville uh, artists, singers. There were some really famous ones there that I recognized. But there was a young man there and his wife and kids I didn't recognize. I didn't know anyone there other than the two or three famous singers I saw. None of the other people that were part of the church did I know. So I didn't know if they were faithful members or if they were visitors. I didn't know. So at the end of service, I was back with my book. And a family came up, beautiful children. And his wife I said hi to. And she was trying to corral the little guy. And then her husband said to me, here's my card. I worked for seven years in the White House. I know everybody in there. And any door I can open for you, you let me know. Now watch this. I showed his card to the pastor after church and told him what he said. And I said, that's good that you have a man here that helped me with that connection. He said, Pastor Mike, I don't know who he is. They've never been here. This is their first Sunday. Wait. You pray for divine connection, divine appointments, and God sends a family to a church where you're going to be that you've never been and they've never been either to make a connection for you that plays out in what God has called you to do. That's what divine appointments do for you. And I have full faith to walk in that because I put God first in my life. I have a right for his blessing, not arrogantly, but thankfully I have a right for his elevation. I have a right for possession and I have a right for dominion over my enemies. I want you to have that today. If you want it, I know you do. I want you to stand. I want you to receive this blessing. If you're part of this church or you've never been here before today, this is your day. I want you to put your hands out like someone is going to put a, a gift, like a box, right in your hand. And we're going to impart something. We're not going to pray and ask because it's already been given. We're going to receive what God has promised. Hallelujah. That Jesus had to die for us to have. Father, in the name of Jesus, every one of my friends whose hands are stretched out toward you right now, I pray that as surely as we are here in the Sugarland, Houston, Texas area today under the anointing of your, of your power, that you set into their lives and into their open hands the Abrahamic blessing that you had to die to give us, Jesus. We impart by the power of the Holy Spirit the blessing of elevation. Lift our lives. Lift us. The blessing of possession. Ownership. Give us the possession that you have promised in Jesus' name. It may be a business. It may be a house. It may be a wayward child back home. Possession. The enemy is not going to steal our goods that belong to us. We receive it in Jesus' name. And finally, and as great as any of them, we bestow and impart the blessing of dominion over enemies. Not people. People are not our enemies. It may be an addiction. It may be a mindset. It may be an unforgiveness situation. But we ask you for dominion over that enemy now in Jesus' name. 
If there's anything limiting our minds, anything limiting our minds, man, you got an open spirit and you got great things ahead of you. Thank you, God, for the elevation that's coming to this man and woman. I thank you that we receive right now that three-part blessing. The blessing of elevation. Lift your people, God. The blessing of possession and the blessing of dominion over every enemy. And we speak your release, Father, over this house, over Triumph Sugarland, over this people. God, you're going to begin to draw them from the north, south, east, and the west. You're going to be able to send. You're going to begin to send unbelievable people of, of vision and of resource and of, and of help. I see the Calvary showing up. Not Calvary as in the hill with the cross, but Calvary as in a thun the thundering hooves and a, of an army of men and women of God who are coming to say, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I came to find. This is where God has called me to serve. We call that in in Jesus' name. Now, every one of you with your hands stretched out like this to receive, and I believe you've done it by faith. I want you just to turn your hands over. Just slip them up like this and tell him thank you. Just give God a good thank you. Give God a good thank you. Thank you, Father. I receive it, and I'm going to live in it. And if you'll do this for me, if you'll write this down, or take a note on your phone or something and keep it in front of your eyes all this week, and when you pray and when you have your quiet time, I want you to say, Father, because of the blessing of Abraham, I am blessed to be elevated to possess my inheritance and to have dominion over my enemies it's my promise in Jesus name in Jesus name hallelujah May the call of God and the anointing of God be mightily upon this house. May God bless our pastors, their family, our leaders. In Jesus' name, let this be a year of abundance. Let this be a year of breakthrough. Let this be a year of divine revelation and appointments. Let this be a year of purpose. Let this be a year that we, that we never dreamed of. And it will be in the name of Jesus. I believe and I sense that fall is going to be a tremendous time for this house. You need to really get ready for a great fall in this house. Because in the fall, things are going to fall. In the fall, things are going to fall. In the fall, resistance is going to fall. In the fall, there's a tripwire that's going to be touched by your faithfulness and it opens up. It's like pushing the first domino over in a string of thousands. And we claim it, Father, for this house in the fall. And we thank you for it. And we thank you for the faithfulness of your people that have invested for these number of years in Pastor Damon and Christine and in Triumph DC to be a light and a witness. And it's going to pay off in Jesus' name. It's going to pay off in Jesus' name. And I thank you that this is a church, this is a house, this is a leader that believes in doing what God has called us to do, no matter how big it seems but to believe that we can pull it off.
with the favor of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Pastor Randy is coming. Thank the Lord. Well, how many of you received the blessing of Abraham today? Can you wrap your faith around that? All right, how good of students have we been today? What's the first blessing? Elevation. And the second blessing? And the third blessing? Everybody say, yes. All right. Give Pastor Hayes a hand clap and thank him for a good word here today. So I'm sorry. So have a seat and uh, let's prepare a good love offering today. Um, I want you to look at this more than just a speaker's offering for the last few minutes that he shared with us. But I'm going to ask you to look at it um, in a bigger picture. Uh, the position he so serves as the overseer of Churches in Covenant, as our representative in Washington, and then of course uh, the word he shared with us today. So. Get something ready, something generous, something loving. Uh, give according to your blessing, whatever level of blessing you're on today. Give according to that level and according to the level you want to go to by faith. Give something loving and generous. God bless you for your faithfulness and your generosity for uh, all that you do from week to week, and especially in this offering.